Come on, friends. How are we doing tonight? Come on. Hey, how many of you guys have loved camp so far? There is something special. Did, do, did you say do the gritty or did you say hi, JD? One or the other, right? Later. Maybe later. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Sorry, what am I doing? Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Give you guys a couple seconds. Give you guys a couple seconds. And while you're doing that, uh, what did you guys do today? Anybody want to share? Raise a hand. Uh, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, while you're getting there, Daniel chapter 9. And while you're getting there, if you want to raise your hand, something special or fun that you did today that we'd all enjoy hearing. Um, and don't tell me you like just sat by the water, right? Like something exciting. Yes. I went paddleboarding. You went paddleboarding. Phenomenal. That sounds amazing and terrifying. Um, yes, ma'am. What'd you do? Um, we tried to build an A-frame. You tried to build an A-frame? Oh, it's like a house. Okay, I'm glad that you explained because I, I had no idea what that was. But yes, that's a not, that, that sounds amazing. Anybody do the escape room? Yeah, okay. Uh, who like ventured out into the lake and like trusted God? Anybody in here? Yeah. Um, I'm going to call one more person. Hands down. Hands down, hands down. One more person. If you'd like to share, you can raise your hand. One more person. Um, Daniel chapter 9. If you're in Daniel chapter 9, you can raise your hand. If not, get to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, verse 1. Right there. Yes. You did what? You did worship? Come on, let's go. You worship Jesus. Yes, you did. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, hands down, hands down. Um, hey, before we start our message tonight, I um, want to share something with you. Um, so I, this will be the last time that we uh, get to spend uh, time together like this. Uh, I will be head headed down the mountain tonight after we get done with our message. Uh, but before I did, I wanted to say a few things. First of all, um, from the bottom of my heart, I wanted to say thank you. Um, thank you for being uh, amazing students. Thank you for sitting in chapel and allowing uh, me to speak into your life. I do not ever take that lightly. Uh, thank you for uh, sitting with me and talking with me. Many of you have shared your stories with me about the struggles that you're facing at home. And just know that the, that did not fall on deaf ears. I will, uh, I will keep you in my prayers. Uh, I've even heard that some of you have taken time in your cabins to pray for me, knowing that uh, I'm going through a really challenging season of my life. And so thank you for that. Uh, thank you for uh, buying me ice cream at the uh, shop. I don't remember who did that, but right there, thank you for doing that. And uh, lastly, um, again, you guys are just awesome. Never forget it. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, is where we're going to be at today. Last night, uh, many of you in this room gave your lives to Jesus. There were also a few of you that realized that you had been living a life that did not reflect uh, your belief in God. And so let me be clear, because I've had some people ask me some questions after last night about something that was important. The Christian's life, and please never forget this, the Christian's life is not one of you trying to be perfect. The Christian's life is not one of you trying to be perfect. It is filled with mistakes. It is filled with stumbling and oftentimes wishing that we were further along than we actually are. 
The Christian life is not one of you trying to be perfect. God does not expect you to be perfect. And so if that weight has been on your shoulders since last night, I want to go ahead and remove that from you. I pray that the Lord would do that. God does not expect us to reach perfection now, but he will someday in heaven. But we won't be perfect in this life, but this is important. We will and we should see progress. That's a note if you're taking them tonight. We will and we should see progress. And so if last night you committed your life to Jesus and you received his forgiveness from your sin, and I believe that you will go down the mountain a new creation. I do not believe that you will go down the mountain a better version of yourself. I do not believe that you will go down the mountain a little more clean and you just cuss a little less. I believe that the Bible says that you are now a new creation in Christ. Some translations of the Bible will say that you are now a new creature in Christ. You are completely different. You are new. You are, again, not a better improved version of your previous self. You are a new creature. The old man has gone. Who you once were is dead in the grave with Jesus, and you are now alive with Christ. You're new. And so over time, you will begin to change and become more like Jesus. You'll begin to see people like Jesus did, and you'll begin to hurt on their behalf. You'll begin to see what they're going through, and God will will break your heart for the sins of others. You'll begin to see your own sin day after day of, of, of what it does to you, how damaging it is to your life and your relationships with others, and you'll even begin to see God as the loving Father that he is, and you will fall more and more in love with him as every season of your life moves on. And this is what progress in the Christian life looks like. Think of those that you look up to because their faith inspires you. Think of your counselors, think of your coaches, think of your teachers or your parents, many of whom are sitting next to you in this room tonight. I want you to think of how they love God, think of how they trust God, think of how they set an example of doing what is right and think about how they love you. The truth is their visible love for God and their hate for sin, their progress did not happen by accident. Their progress did not happen by accident. How did they grow? How can you grow? This leads us to our last installment of unpacking our theme for the week. How do we live with resilience for God in a world that is becoming increasingly more hostile towards Christianity This is something to write down. How do we do this? How do we grow? How do we fight back against the enemy, push back the kingdom of darkness and live for God? We pray. Write that down. We dedicate our lives to prayer. We pray. What is prayer? It is communication with God. He speaks, we listen. We speak, he listens. And so ultimately God did not just save you from hell, which he absolutely did, but he saved you for an intimate, life-giving, soul-satisfying relationship with him where you talk constantly with him. And in that communication, you are changed day by day. The Bible says it like this, you are changed from glory to glory to glory. So Daniel's going to teach us more about how we can pray in chapter nine. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Uh, God, you are doing an incredible work 
here at Hume Lake in the lives of these students. Lord, I pray that as we focus in one more time for the messages that I have prepared, uh, spending time with you, I pray that you would help us to, to focus and give us your, or give our, give our attention to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, knowing that the words that I'm sharing from this book are not my own. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, Amen. Daniel chapter 1, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Scripture says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, let's say that, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the book, in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so Daniel begins chapter 9 by stating that just, had God, just as God had uh, been responsible for setting King Nebuchadnezzar on the throne, uh, what we learned yesterday was that God had also established and was alone responsible for establishing this new king, King Darius. Verse 2 says that as Daniel was reading through, quote unquote, the books, he came across the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, and that should sound familiar to you from our first message. And so now remember, a prophet was like a mouthpiece for God. He would hear from the Lord and then he would share a message to the people. And oftentimes these messages included things like repent, turn from your sin and trust in God. And we read in Jeremiah earlier this week and found that this prophet had told them that they would suffer in this exile in Babylon for a total of 70 years. Do you remember Jeremiah chapter 23, I believe it was, where the prophet Jeremiah said to the Israelites living in Jerusalem that God had for 23 years persistently communicated this message to them. And if you'd circle those words with me, you'll remember that what was consistently said of the Israelites is that they would not listen. So the Israelites had now been, at this point in time, in Babylon for 66 years, meaning that if God's word was true, their deliverance was coming. Again, God's word said, you'll be in Babylon for 70 years, and at this point in time, they've been there for 66. In Daniel's uh, time in exile, he had seen God be faithful to his word countless times. He had, seen, he had seen God follow through with taking the Israelites out of Jerusalem and into Babylon, being faithful to his word and saying that he would exile them and give them a consequence for their sin. Daniel had seen God fulfill uh, what, what had, was spoken to the king in his dreams about him being punished and humiliated and becoming like an animal. And God had seen the fall of Babylon like the dream and the statue and the dream with the tree. God's word was proven true time and time again. And so Daniel has reason to be excited. Let's see what Daniel's response is to learning that the Israelites would be returning soon to Jerusalem. This is verse three. Then I, speaking of Daniel, turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And so verse 2 says that Daniel, he prayed 
toward Jerusalem, showing that he is longing to return to his land. It had been so long. Anybody in here, like, when you, like this is going to be your experience, I promise you, hopefully. Uh, you're going to go back home, and you're going to like be familiar with the smells of your house, and you're going to sleep in your own bed. Any adults in here excited? Come on, somebody. And you are going to eat your own food, and you're going to see your own dogs, and you're going to be excited because, listen, eyes on me. If you hear my voice clap once, if you hear my voice clap twice, there's nothing like home. There's nothing like home. And so verse 2 says that Daniel, he prays towards Jerusalem because he misses it. In verse 3, he puts some type of like a burlap sack on his body and he sprinkles ash on his head as a sign of his deep mourning and repentance that had been so long. And this would be over the sin that led him and his people into exile in the first place. And so, with rescue near and suffering almost over, Daniel falls on his knees and he prays. Has anybody in here ever been on a plane before? Anybody in here? Plane? Sweet. Um, I love flying. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, honestly, I don't just like, like the flying part of it. I like preparing for flying. Uh, I like planning on going wherever it is that we're going. I like the day before uh, packing our stuff. I like the morning of waking up at like some weird time, like 4.31 a.m. and then going to Starbucks and getting your pumpkin spice latte. You know what I mean? And then you're going to get in your car and you're going to drive to whatever airport you're at. There's this like busyness and excitement because everybody's going somewhere that they're like really jazzed about. And then you get in line and that's kind of boring, but it's still kind of cool because you can people watch and you go through all those weird like mechanical things. And then you're sitting uh, in your seat waiting for them to call your plane. You get on the plane, you sit in the seat, and then you hear the rumbling of the engine and then it takes off. And anybody believe or anybody agree with me that it just, it just feels like a roller coaster. It is the coolest thing ever. I love flying. I cannot say the same thing about uh, my wife. My wife hates flying. And so about three or four years ago, she had never been on a plane before, and she got called to go to work in Arizona. She had to do like a week-long trip in Arizona, and uh, she needed to get on a plane to get there. And she says, babe, babe, can, can you please come with me? And I was like, you know what? Brownie points. Yes, I will. And so I get in line with my wife, we, all the preparations, we get in line, we go on the plane, and, and she's like stone cold, like she's so terrified, she's like sweating, I'm so happy she's not here, she's like sweating, and she's got like, like just the face of fear on her, and, and she's like just waiting in line, and as we approach the plane, I realize that like we didn't make a bad decision, but man, God has some kind of like humor. This plane is the smallest thing that I've ever seen in my life, and if you have ever been on a plane, you know that the smaller it is, the more challenging the flight is probably going to be. And now every plane that I've been on, have, they've been enormous. Uh, like I said, I've been to Israel, I went to New York, I went to all these places across the country. And so it's usually like a double-decker, like a huge plane. And so you never really feel any turbulence, but this plane was tiny. And so my wife was like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing, don't worry about it, we'll be fine. We get on the plane, there's like three aisles on the plane. It really looks like a Jurassic Park plane, you know, like the ones that are sketchy, that you're like, why are you flying this over a dinosaur? It's, it looked exactly like that. We get in the plane, we sit down, and we're excited to, I'm excited to take off. She was like doing something. And uh, 
All of a sudden, the, the engine rumbles, but it doesn't sound like a normal engine. It sounds like a toy. And it does the... And I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus, come quickly. And so the, the, the plane starts sputtering. We take off, which was the most pathetic takeoff that's ever been happened in the, in the history of the world. And the plane, you know how like sometimes when you take off, it's got like the turbulence thing and it does this. And then eventually it just kind of like evens out and you have a good flight. You know what I mean? This plane went like this, and then when it got to this space, it kept doing this. And so we were freaking out. My wife was scared. She's like, when is this going to end? And I was like, I don't know, but hopefully it does soon. And then the scary part happened. All of a sudden, and again, this isn't a long flight. This is to Arizona. We were in California, so like maybe an hour or two. All of a sudden, you see these dark clouds roll in. And we're sitting in this plane, and my wife is like, she has her headphones in, and she's watching a movie, and I see it from the corner of the window, and I'm like, just don't, don't look, don't pay attention. We get closer to the dark clouds and then eventually you hear the noise of, of fear. And we were like, what was that? I was like, what was that? And then you see it, lightning, right next to our plane. And so I pretend like I don't see it, but my wife does. And immediately she grabs my hand and she's like, Jesus, you are good. God, you are faithful. Lord, would you deliver us in, in his name? You know what I mean? Come on, somebody for godly women. She said, Jesus, you are good. The flight attendant didn't help. The flight attendant sees what's happening and she's like walking around like purposefully, just like she's pacing up and down this small plane. And then she stops right behind us and she says the four words that you never want to hear from somebody that is working on a plane. She says, this does not look, I guess it's five, good. This does not look good. And my wife is like, I can't even tell you how mortified she was. And I'm just trying to comfort her and we're praying together and, and things are like not doing okay. Well then uh, the plane continues to shake and the lightning happens and the flight attendant, uh, she, she sits behind us for whatever reason. She thinks like we're her friends. She sits behind us, she straps herself in and then she leans over. And I think at this point she was just trying to have fun with us, but she leans over and she says, you know, we weren't even supposed to take off today. We were told not to. The pilot wanted to get home so he can have dinner. And you know what I said? I am so happy that my life is as valuable as the pilot's hamburger helper. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anybody in here know about that hamburger helper life? That's that hood life, y'all. Yes, it is. And so I freaked out, I freaked out, like the, the plane's still shaking, the lightning's like, I feel like it's hitting the plane, and, and my wife is terrified, and again, we're holding hands, we're praying, and then we see it, we see the, the little like area where the plane lands, the, whatever that is, and uh, the plane gets closer, the plane gets closer, we're praying, and then the feet come out, whatever it is, the runway, thank you, the feet come out, the legs, the wheels, they come out, thank you, <laughs> And we land well, and everything turned out fine, and the pilot got his hamburger helper for dinner. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Shh. The point of me telling you that story, don't miss this. Uh, knowing that the suffering would be over soon and that safety was near, what was our response? Although it was funny, it was still true. We prayed. With exile soon being over for the Israelites and them knowing that suffering would soon be over and safety was near, they prayed. The Bible teaches us that Jesus will return one day and save us from this world that is infected and infested with sin, that is destroying everything that it touches. And so our response should be to pray. So JD, how, how do I pray? 
The rest of Daniel chapter nine lays out a sort of like a guide as to how we can pray. But first, let me preface with this. If you forget every single word that I say over the course of the next few minutes about prayer, please do not forget this. If at one point in your life you decide, hey, I'm gonna try that thing out that that pastor said, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try speaking to God, but I don't know what he wants me to say to him. I don't know what he wants to hear. Just talk to him. More than anything, he is a loving, kind father that wants to be with his children. And I have never met a father that would turn away his child because they didn't know how to talk to him. He wants to be with you. With that in mind, chapter 9, verse 4. This is how Daniel prayed. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confessions, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God. And we'll stop there. Daniel teaches us the best way to start prayer. This is point number one. There's three points. Write this one down. The best way to start prayer. Recognize who you're talking to. Recognize who God is. Remind yourself of who is listening to what you are saying. And so God not only does great things. We've learned so many times throughout the course of this week that God does incredible things. He saves people that are thrown into the fiery furnace. He shuts the mouth of lions. He can humble kings that think that they are gods. But this is only what God does. And he only does these things because he himself is great. He himself is powerful. He himself is king. He himself is everlasting. And he himself is alpha, omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is powerful. He is God This is who we pray to. Oftentimes, I find myself falling victim to this. I think that I'm praying to a thought or an idea or some kind of like mystical force out in the distance that has no idea who I am. We are talking to a powerful God that loves us. And so often I will begin my prayers with acknowledging the strength and the might and the glory and the vastness of God, which immediately calms my nerves and brings me into a space where I trust him because I'm reminded of the fact that he is sovereign. Do you remember that word? I'm reminded of the fact that he is sovereign. And so as you pray, find space to remind yourself that God has created everything. God sustains everything and he is in control. Verse five. Daniel continues with his prayer and he says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So what's the next thing that Daniel does? He confesses his sin to God. Point number two, he confesses his sin to God. God had delivered the people from slavery in Egypt, He had given them land. He had lived among them in the temple. He sent them prophets and they still did not listen. And so Daniel confesses all of this to God. And so when we go to God in prayer, we ought to confess where we have fallen short, where we have made mistakes, where we have not considered him, how we have been deliberately and intentionally disobedient. We ought to confess these things to God. And so just be honest with him because the truth is, He already knows. 
And so, J.D., why is it that I have to confess my sin to a God that knows everything? Why is it that I have to continually confess my sin to a God that has already saved me and purchased for me eternal life? There's two things that I came up with. There's more than this, but these are the two that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you. Number one, because when we do, we begin to hate our sin more and more, and we become more like Jesus. Then number two, because it reminds us that he has and he will continue to forgive us. Please hear me. The only part that you had in your salvation, the only part that you played whatsoever was bringing your sin to the table. And so if God has saved you by his grace and his grace alone, I mentioned this last night, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that you can't boast about it. And so if this is true and God saved you, then you cannot unsave yourself. And so we confess our sin to God to remind ourselves that he again is good and kind and he has adopted us into his family. And so notice that when you neglect to confess, your mind begins to trick you into thinking that somehow he is disappointed in you. He is somehow ashamed of you. He is somehow angry with you. When you come to him and say, Lord, this is where I've failed you, what does he do every time? He embraces you and he forgives you. Verse nine, the last thing that Daniel teaches us about prayer. He says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him. Point number three, Daniel remembers and receives God's mercy and forgiveness. God remember and receives remembers and receives God's mercy and forgiveness. What is mercy? This was something amazing that I wrote down and I never forgot it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And what is it that we do not deserve? We do not, sorry, what is mercy? Mercy, it is not getting what you deserve. We deserve punishment from sin. We deserve punishment for our sin. And what does God give us instead? He gives us grace. What is grace? It is getting what you don't deserve. Forgiveness, I'll say that again because I was kind of wonky with it. What is mercy? It is not getting what you deserve, which is punishment. And grace is getting what you don't deserve is forgiveness. And so be kind to yourself. I feel like especially this generation, I hear conversations where students and, and kids, they're just so hard on themselves and they don't forget the things that they do and they still hold things over themselves that God has already forgiven you for. Be kind to yourself. Psalm 103, 12 Psalm 103.12 says, God removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Infinitely far. They never intersect. You are completely and totally forgiven for everything that you have done if you have put your faith in Christ and the person that you once were. And so receive God's mercy and forgiveness with open hands. So when you pray, remember these three things. Number one, recognize who God is. Number two, confess your sin. And then number three, receive his forgiveness. When my, um, when my mom passed away, uh, I talked with you a little bit about that, and I had said that the thing that carried me through that season uh, was going to the word of God and confessing things that I knew were true of the word of God over my life. And so I re repeatedly had said that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The second most helpful thing that carried me through this time in my life uh, was 
my sister would come over to my house every day for about a month. And every morning at about seven o'clock in the morning, I would take one of my dogs and we would walk my neighborhood because my dogs needed to get walked. But it was during this time that my sister and I, we would have conversations. And we, they weren't planned conversations, we were just talking to each other. And conversations would go somewhere along the lines of how painful what we were going through and how, how it felt like. The conversations would be, what are we doing that day? It would be remembering funny things that had happened in our past. We would be crying together. We would laugh together. And for a month straight, we just had these awesome moments of conversation. I had mentioned earlier as well that trials do many things, but one of them is that they expose unbelief in your heart. They show you where you're really putting your trust and that's one of the benefits of going through hard things. And that thing for me, what God showed me was going on in my heart, was that I was not spending enough time talking to him. Because when my mom passed away, I felt like I was flailing around and I didn't have a regular stream of conversation with my God. And now, listen, I'm a pastor. And so if you think that people like me are perfect and people like your parents are perfect and people like your pastors are perfect, they're not. And so the Lord showed me, hey, you've been praying before you write messages, you've been praying before bed for 30 seconds, you've been praying before you eat a meal, but when was the last time you talked to me about how you really felt? And so during this time, I was asking God, like, how, how, how am I gonna do this, like, now? Like, I don't even feel like I can talk to you and be honest with you and... I felt like he showed me, why is it that you can't just talk to me like you talk to your sister? Like I'm right there next to you. Like I wanna hear what you have to say because I care about what you're going through. And so I did. And I started approaching prayer less like a list of things that I needed to check off and more like I wanted to talk to my God who loved me. And so please, for those of you that have given your life to Jesus and you are ready to follow him with everything that you have, do not neglect the reading of his word and talk to him as often as you can. These are the things that will grow you in your faith and sustain you through every form of hostility that you will face when you get down the mountain because I promise you, the devil is real and he is mad. And so relationships that you've had are probably going to be strained. I can imagine that there are some people that you're going to have some issues with those that don't like the decision that you made to follow Christ, but that's because Jesus says that the spirit that lives in him lives in you now and that the world hated him first and now they'll hate you. You cannot expect to live the Christian life without doing it with God. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Thank you so much again for lending me your ear for this week. Um, know that I'm praying for you, and let me do that one more time. Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much again that you have given us this space to consider your word, to speak of things that are true of you. God, I pray that every person here that had heard the gospel would believe it to be true. And for those that have, God, would you empower them with the filling of your spirit? Would you use them for your glory, whatever the cost?
And whenever I get to see them again, whether it's here, there, or in the air, Lord, remind us that it's all for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen.